I'm going to focus my comments today on the white paper, obviously which is mainly focused on the NHS, but I think as the Minister herself acknowledged, has significant implications already for public health. Obviously we look forward to more detail in the public health white paper. But I'd like to focus on three particular aspects of the white paper and consultation documents and reflect really on the likely impact on public health and health inequalities. And they are the stronger role for local authorities the giving of greater responsibility for commissioning to GPs, and finally, the focus on outcomes. In what I say, I'm going to draw briefly on some research that the fund has been doing as part of an SDO-funded project looking at the impact of the quality and outcomes framework on public health and health inequalities, which we hope to be publishing later on in the autumn. So looking first at the role of local authorities, well, the document on democratic legitimacy and in the overall white paper signalled a much stronger role in public health for local authorities responsible for joint strategic needs assessment and obviously having the director of public health located within local authorities. And I think this has a number of real opportunities and some of those have already been highlighted. Of course, it gives great opportunity for a much stronger intersectoral approach to health. We heard about that at national government level and it is just as important that at local authority level that sort of intersectoral approach is embraced. We know most recently from Marmot but from many previous reports the importance of those wider determinations housing, crime, education, many of which sit with local authorities. The other opportunity that I think it presents is for creating healthier environments in which people are able to live healthier lifestyles, whether it be leisure facilities, the creation of parks and open spaces, or indeed the planning powers that local authorities have to reduce the numbers of fast food outlets or indeed reduce the numbers and concentration of betting shops in particularly deprived areas. Those sorts of opportunities, again, are very strong at that local level. And I think it's really vital that health continues to play a role within the place-based approaches. I think that was just beginning to happen. Uh, We had a conference here on Total Place and are looking to publish some of the good case studies around those links and how they're developing. And I think it hopefully bodes well that those sorts of decisions about how to most effectively allocate local money to maximise the health and well-being of local populations occurs. But I think there are risks, and um, I think Lindsay alluded to this in what she said. I think there is a particular danger that the NHS, in a sense, no longer really sees health as its responsibility, but just health care. And that the focus, which is already there to some extent, is really on treating ill health and that the opportunities for primary prevention are lost. And we've seen this to some extent in the work we did on COF, where primary prevention was not greatly incentivised. The majority of incentives within COF were around secondary prevention. And yet we do know from nice evidence reviews that there is good evidence that things like GP brief intervention around alcohol smoking are are effective. And there is a danger, I think, that the opportunistic primary prevention that can occur within the NHS is lost and we really must make sure that that doesn't um, happen. We also, from our research, were talking to people, uh, GPs and other practice staff in deprived areas and quite concerned really that although I think we would all recognise that GPs have a very important public health role, our research suggests that even in deprived practices, many don't really see that role and certainly didn't see their role in tackling health inequalities. 
So that takes me on to the second area, GP commissioning. So, of course, GPs have a responsibility for a registered population. So in that sense, they, they have a natural affinity to be thinking about population health. And the idea of allocating them money, the budget, and then taking responsibility for commissioning the majority of care does provide the opportunity to give some incentives to those clinicians to bring together clinical decisions and financial decisions to maximise value. And I think there's a real opportunity there if we hold them to account for the outcomes for that wider population, that there should at least in principle be a business case for upstream investment. But again, I suppose the question is, will that happen? Will that be realised? We know that incentives work with general practice. We've seen that with COF. You do get what you pay for. So if you pay for lots of secondary prevention and setting up disease registers, that is what you will get. So we need to be very clear that within the the scope of commissioning, within the framework that the National Commissioning Board sets for GP commissioners, that we get the incentives right to make sure that they do have, seize those opportunities to take a population view and to invest upstream. I think there are a couple of risks around the GP commissioning proposals and hopefully some of these things will become clearer as we go through the consultation. I think the first is the potential mismatch between the geographies of local authorities and the footprints of the GP consortia. There's a chance that that's going to mean it will be more difficult for the NHS and local authorities to create those partnerships that will be necessary to deliver on, on public health. The other is actually the lack of data on public health within general practice. So another of the things that we found was that the GPs were very focused on the patient in front of them. So although they do have the registered population, that isn't really the perspective they're taking and the data doesn't help them to see that either. They're very focused on the quaff and the prompts that they have within the systems. They don't really have a population view of need in the way that Lindsay so well described that is really the bread and butter of public health. There are out there sophisticated data systems that use healthcare data to give people that population view to identify gaps in care. And I think there are opportunities to build on the registered population. But there is, I think, going to be a challenge about how do we get that public health data into the GP surgery and get them more in the mindset of thinking about their populations. And I think the final risk that I just mentioned, again coming from some of our our research, is that I think in some areas where primary care is particularly underdeveloped at present, there is a risk that this might actually lead to greater inequalities. So we found that whilst on COF performance, if you took that, the gap between practices serving deprived and non-deprived populations has narrowed and and (coughs) frankly, pretty much disappeared. And this was just looking at clinical indicators. But what we did find is that better resource practices did better. So smaller practices, practices in which there are more non-UK qualified doctors with larger caseloads did worse. And of course, these are concentrated in deprived areas. Qualitatively, talking to these GPs and practice staff, the lack of facilities meant they found it hard to retain staff and they were really demanding populations. And we need to make sure we allocate resources sufficiently towards these deprived practices. And there is a danger, I think, with the resource allocation, although obviously we're going to have the health premium for the public health part of the money. I think we're still waiting to see how will we ensure that these GP commissioning groups get the right allocation to make sure in deprived practices they can not only 
serve those practices well, but also perform well as providers and commissioners of care. So that's things that I think we just need to, to think about. So the third and final area I just wanted to briefly mention was the focus on outcomes. Now, I think everyone in the room will congratulate the new coalition government for putting this central to the drive as to what we are trying to achieve in the NHS. It builds on the work of Lord Darcy and really says equality must be at the heart of the NHS. And of course, it is right that in terms of NHS performance, it is important that outcomes are a key measure of performance. But again, I think reading the document, and I was very pleased to hear the things that the minister was saying about the need to define the public health outcomes and to find ways of making sure that the NHS performance and the public health goals are brought together. But I think at the moment, reading it, there is a feeling that the focus is still a lot on individual patients, on outcomes of treatment. Now, of course, it does also very much recognise and should be welcome that some outcomes the NHS can't deliver alone and will only be able to deliver with public health and prevention and, and that is right and we look forward as that work is brought together with public health work. Just to sort of give an example, I think, for example, around preventing premature mortality, of course, one of the key measures they're proposing is, is mortality amenable to healthcare, and that's very important. But it, again, there's a danger that the focus on that might ignore some of the wider preventative activities that are, that are necessary. So I think it's just going to be really important that we don't go down the route that, in fact, we did with COF, where what we did was itemise clinical activities and, in effect, by defining very narrow outcomes that only primary care felt it had a responsibility for, we lost their responsibility in effect for much bigger outcomes, which are true health outcomes. So we need to be sure in defining what are very important clinical outcomes for the NHS that we also hold them to account jointly for their contribution to broader outcomes, challenging the big public health challenges that the Minister outlined, alcohol, smoking, obesity. These must also be key priorities for the NHS. So I think while the changes to the NHS in effect don't directly address public health, we've obviously got the public health white paper, clearly there are a number of very significant implications of the proposals that we have already on the table. And I think we have the opportunity over the next uh, few months to give quite careful thought and attention to the impacts on public health and hopefully find that decisions, we need to make sure that the decisions that are being taken about the white paper on the NHS don't make the task of improving population population health and reducing health inequalities are more difficult. Thank you.